Welcome to the first SDA podcast. We are glad that you have chosen to spend your time listening to this program, and we know that you will be blessed in the process. We pray as you listen to the message today that you will be inspired, empowered, and renewed to have a closer walk with God. know by faith somebody's shouting in front of their television somebody's got some hands lifted in front of their device somebody's giving God some major glory at home as if we've all just been reminded that all of our help doesn't come from the government it doesn't come from Capitol Hill doesn't come from the hospital our help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth so let all the redeemed of the Lord say so this this morning amen amen and so if you're at home and you've been blessed uh, by the musical ministry of our brother Patrick. Just right now, give him a virtual amen. Put it in the comments, put it in the feed, the like button so that he'll be able to know uh, that you appreciated his ministry. Patrick, we thank you so much for your ministry, for your willingness to be able to serve, and just as a young man, committing your gifts to God. Um, and as God continues to grow him, I, I look forward to being able to say down the road, I knew him when. I'd be like, yeah, I knew little Patrick way back then. Little Pat, I remember him when he first came on the scene. So we thank God for his gifts and the way that he allows himself to be used unto the glory of God. And then if you just appreciate uh, what's being done from week to week, if you could just give a virtual amen for our band, our praise team, our deacons, our media team, our health team, our pastoral staff, everybody that comes out multiple times each week to make sure that we can bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into your home. And I'm, and I'm truly thankful and grateful that, that God has put the minds in the body of Christ to be able to bring the gospel wherever you are today. And for that, we give thanks today. And so today, just I want to reiterate a couple of announcements. Uh, the first thing, uh, next Sabbath afternoon at 1 p.m., there's going to be a community giveaway, a food giveaway. We are in very hard times, pressing times financially. Now, again, this is different, different than the produce giveaway that happened last week. This, again, this is from our community service department. So, again, within this bag, there's going to be canned fruits, vegetables, starches, along with the chicken. So, again, if you don't have that need specifically, but you know somebody that does, encourage them to come on out next uh, Sabbath afternoon at 1 p.m. Don't worry, we're not breaking the Sabbath. The Bible says it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so we're going to serve our community and pour into them as often as we possibly can. But this, again, is from our community service department. And again, we just want to make you aware of that. So even if that's not your need, but there's somebody in your sphere of influence that has that need, encourage them to come on out again next Saturday at 1 o'clock p.m. And so today we want to go ahead and jump into the Word of God. And, and one of the things I want to encourage you is uh, if you're online, I want to encourage you if you know somebody that's kind of going through it. And somebody whose faith is wilting, somebody who just doesn't really know kind of how to hold it together. I want to encourage you to just like this. I want you to share this. I want you to tag this message with them, call them, and tell them to log on. Because I need you to know that this message is not for somebody with a perfect life. This is somebody that's living an imperfect life, but you serve a perfect God this morning. And so today, I want to encourage you to just encourage somebody to jump on. Because I want to encourage somebody specifically in the area of faith. And see, this is really important because a lot of times when we talk about being ready for the last days, 
we usually only have that conversation in the context of truth and and right information and making sure you have the right beliefs and and those things are imperative they they are essential don't get me wrong but but again it's incomplete if you only have the right message because remember one of the questions that Jesus asked he said when the son of man comes he asked this question will he find faith on the earth and I need us to understand that this this COVID-19 this time there are times when people ask, Pastor, do you believe that this means Jesus is, is right at the door? And, and there are certain things. God has not given us a day or hour. But I need you to understand and receive it this way, that if Jesus does not come in the near future, we ought to use this as a dress rehearsal. In, in other words, like, like what this is kind of showing some of us is where our faith actually is. And it's teaching some of us where our faith really is not. And so, so we want to use this as a dress rehearsal to make sure that we're growing in the direction of being able to put all of our faith in God, not our situation, not of our circumstance, to be reminded that our help, our help, it comes from the Lord. And so today, I want to invite you to go with me to a very familiar text of scripture. Let's go with me in your Bibles to the book of Job chapter 1. The book of Job chapter 1, and we're going to look together beginning at verse number 6. The book of Job chapter 1, and we're going to look together at verse number 6. And when you get there, just kind of give us a virtual amen on the screen and let you know you're there. And, and I believe it's also on the screen for those who are watching at home. Job chapter 1 and uh, in verse number 6. The Bible says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them and the Bible says and the Lord said to Satan from where do you come so Satan answered the Lord and I want you to pay attention to what he says from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it then the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, one that fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around everything he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And the Bible says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plying, plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians raided them and took them away. And indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And catch this, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands raided the camels and took them away and yes killed the servants with the edge of the sword 
and I alone have escaped to tell you. Talk about a bad day. Because the word says, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters, your children, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people. And the Bible says they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. I pray that some believing people are reading the word today. And he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God wrongly. But again, I want to read just for emphasis, verse 12, that the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Today, saints, I want to talk to you all for a little while under the subject, it can only go so far. It can only go so far. Let's pray together. Father, once again, I come to you in weakness, asking for permission to join my weakness, my frailty, and my lack to your divine strength. And so, Lord, my prayer, as much as any sermon I've ever preached, is that in the hearing of the word, that your people's faith would be multiplied exponentially. And Father, I'm praying that you would help us to have a belief that is not based upon sight, situation, or circumstance. That we would have a belief that rests solely upon the infallible character of you, our almighty God. So once again, Lord, would you please hide me in the shadows of the cross that Jesus alone might be seen, that Christ alone would be heard, and at the end of our time together, may Jesus alone be praised. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Let God's people say together, amen and amen. Again, talking under the subject, it can only go so far. You know, one of the um, most precious promises in the scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. It is a promise that gives hope to every believer in their moment of greatest tribulation. It is there that Paul says that there is no test that has come upon you except that which is common unto man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested above what ye are able but with also the test, he will provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. And what the word says is that you will not be tested beyond what you are able to bear. God is saying, I won't test you beyond your capacity. And the implication, saints, is that you have been measured by God. That God in his infinite wisdom, he has measured the depth of your faith. He has measured the weight of your character. 
He has measured the quantity of your strength. He has measured the portion of your resolve. He has measured your resilience. He has measured your strength. He has measured your portion. And he has made a predetermination that he will never allow a trial to come upon you that would exceed his measurements of you. So, so that the trials that come upon you are not permitted uh, in a random way. Every trial that is permitted falls in line with a divine formula. So that God is not guessing about your ability to handle it. Your ability to handle it has already been measured by the almighty God. In other words, somebody needs to get this, that if God has permitted it, it's because God has determined that it's already your size. In other words, God has made a predetermination beforehand that this is not going to kill you, that it's not going to overwhelm you, it's not going to overtake you because he'll never place more on you than you're able to bear. In fact, let me pause and say it this way, that you've been pre-qualified for your adversity. In other words, let me say it this way, that, that when you go to buy a house, uh, what's going to happen is you're going to go and meet with a lender. And, and what the lender's going to do is they're going to pre-qualify you for a certain amount of money. And understand that their pre-qualification is not based upon your personality or how much they like you. Their pre-qualification is going to be based upon an investigation. In other words, they're going to study your credit history. They're going to study your credit score. They're going to Study your income. They're going to study the amount of debt that you have. And you got to understand that they're not going to qualify you for a nickel more than what you are able to handle. In other words, they're not going to guess about what you're able to handle. They're going to make their destination, their decision based upon their study. And I guess what I'm saying, if we can trust the bank to rightly assess how much we can handle, then certainly we can trust the God to measure our strength and measure our portion and measure our character and make a determination that that trial you're going through is not too much for you to handle. And the reason you should have confidence is that no matter how much it pains you, you've been pre-qualified for it. And so God has already looked ahead and looked at your portion and your character and said, I'm not going to give you too much prosperity and I'm never give you too much pain I'll never put more on you than what you're able to bear are y'all hearing the word today and so over the next couple weeks because I don't know if I'm going to get through it all today I want us to look specifically at this character named Job who has been pre-qualified by God for this particular adversity he's going to go through now as we we surveyed the the story of Job I want to make sure that we have the right focus because see there's a principle I want to introduce you to because how many of us understand that there is no Bible story in scripture that is about a man that there is no Bible story that is about a character every Bible story in scripture is about the glory of God 
Now, now the reason that is important is because sometimes when we read the scripture, we spend too much time looking at the supporting actor, and as a result, we miss the power of the leading man. In fact, I see this at times where people will say, you know, my favorite Bible story is when Moses parted the Red Sea. But how many of us understand that Moses didn't part the Red Sea? All he did was hold up his rod, and it was the hand of God that opened up the Red Sea. Some people say my favorite story is when God, when Joshua caused the sun to stand still. Joshua can't cause no sun to stand still. It was the hand of God that simply caused the earth to stop spinning on its axis so that the sun did not go down. There are times where people say my favorite book is the Acts of the Apostles. But how many of us know that the book of Acts ain't about Peter or Paul? It's about the works of the Holy Spirit. And see, the problem is there are times where we make the Bible about the characters as opposed to the God of the Bible. Are y'all with me today? Now, now, so it is with the story of Job because we come to the wrong conclusions about this text. Because how many of us understand that the story of Job is not about how well this man suffers? See, if all you got from the story of Job is that he went through a whole bunch of stuff, then you missed the entire point. I need you to know that Job is not about a man who suffers well. It is not about Job's strength. It is not about Job's resistance. This story is about Job's assessment of God, even when his world turns upside down. In other words, your takeaway from Job chapter 1, it ought not be how great Job is. It ought to be about getting to know this great God that Job says is still worthy, even when all hell in his life breaks loose. Now, now, the thing I want to kind of lay something out before you, because see, most of us think that the first book of the Bible to be written is Genesis. That, that's not true. But the oldest book in the Bible is actually the book of Job, and it was penned by Moses. And it's crazy because when God begins to inspire Moses about the royal word, he does not begin with the Genesis account of creation. He doesn't begin teaching Moses about God creating on the sixth day and six days and resting on the seventh day. He doesn't begin with Noah's flood or Abraham's establishment. The first thing he begins with is a peek behind the scenes to this battle between Christ and Satan called the great controversy. And even though Job is not first in canonical sequence, the reason that God put it first is because the first thing Israel would learn to study before they studied the Torah, they would first be introduced to the study of Job. And the first lesson that God wanted them to learn was that bad things happen to good people. See, so the first lesson that God gives to his people, it is not about Noah's flood. It is not about Joseph's triumph. It is not about Abraham's greatness. It is not about Jacob's victory. The first thing he wants them to learn, the first lesson of discipleship is how to hold on to God when life gets hard. In other words, I need y'all to get this. The first lesson that he pins in scripture is not about how to pray. It's not about how to study the Bible. 
Bible. It's not about the sanctuary. It's not even about coming to church. The first lesson that every believer needs to learn is how to cling to God when the circumstances of life shift in a way that's not for you. Now, the reason that's important is because most of us don't need lessons on how to praise God when everything is going good. Am I telling the truth? See, we don't need lessons on how to praise God when the body is healthy and the friends are plenty and the bank account is full and the kids behave and the marriage is bringing me pleasure. I, I don't really need help on how to praise God when I feel valued, appreciated, loved, affirmed, rested, and uh, uh, encouraged. We don't need lessons on how to praise God when the situation is promising, peaceful, hopeful, joyous, pleasurable, and flexible. But where I need some help on how to praise God is on those days when you get a call from the doctor and the doctor says the prognosis is cancer. The days where we need help on how to praise God is when you're sitting at the end of a pew, at the, at the end of a funeral, as your loved one that you prayed to get better has fallen asleep in Jesus anyhow. The day you need some help on how to praise God is, is when my wife and I, on those days where in a couple, you go in to see the ultrasound for your baby and you want to see the heart beating and you go in and when they put the ultrasound on the white, you realize that they cannot find the heartbeat anymore more. The days in which we need an example on how to praise God are those days where the employers are not calling but the creditors call from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The days we need help on how to praise God is that three o'clock night where you get a call from Huntsville Police Department that says this is the police. Do you have a child named such and such? The days that we need help praising God is a reconciling a God who is always good and yet as a child he allowed a dad or an uncle to come into your room and commit abuses physically emotionally and sexually the days where we need help praising God is when darkness settles over your home and your heart is broken into a thousand pieces because your partner's extramarital affair has come to the light or your partner has decided to just walk out of the house altogether I don't need help praising God when everything is good and money's in the bank and my friends are greater than my enemies, but sometimes I need an example of how to praise God when all of the ish hits the fan and I cannot find God anymore. And see, I need somebody to understand that God gives this lesson first of Job to help us understand that the quality of discipleship is not seen in how well you praise God in prosperity. But the quality of your discipleship is seen in whether or not you're still able to praise him just as passionately when the world turns upside down in your life. See, I need you to understand that according to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, that this is the victory that overcomes the world. And he says, faith is our victory. I don't know if somebody got that today. See, the victory for the believer is not that everything is going all right, but the victory for the believer is that the devil hits me with everything, including the kitchen sink, and yet I still come through it with my faith intact. See, it don't take that much faith to praise him when you got a whole bunch 
want some money, but can you praise him when you ain't got no money? It's, it don't take faith to praise him when your marriage is going well, but can you still come into his house with thanksgiving when you don't know what the end of the week is going to hold? And I just want to say to somebody that is in a place where you're thinking about giving up, where you're thinking about letting go, I want to encourage you to know that even when it feels like you can't hold on, just remind yourself that you are created by God to hold on. What, what do you mean, Pastor? I, I was created by God to hold on. It's crazy this week. My kids asked me a strange question. They were like, Daddy, why do we have lines in our hands? And why do we have lines on our fingers? And so, of course, I don't really know the answer. And so I had to go and Google why we got hands in our, our lines in our hands and lines in our fingers. And I learned that we have these lines that are called our uh, polymer flexion creases. And understand that these creases have two purposes. The first reason we have these creases is these creases make sure that my skin stays flexible so that when I open and close, it does not rip. These creases keep me flexible to open and close without my flesh tearing. But the second reason I've got these creases in my hand is these creases create traction. These creases create grip. These creases give me the ability to hold on a little tighter than I would if I didn't have these creases in my hand. In fact, one scientist says that when you're holding something heavy or painful, almost unconsciously, you put the hard part in the creases of your hand because it makes it that much easier to hold on to that which you want to let go of. And let me just suggest this week, when you feel like letting go, don't lower your hands. Don't put your hands in your pocket but lift up your hands put them before your face so you can see the creases in your hands as a reminder that God has created you to hold on and not let go he's created you to hold on to your faith to hold on to your joy to hold on to your praise to hold on to him when you feel like letting go are y'all hearing the word of God today and so go back with me if you will to the book of Job chapter 1 and verse 6 as we unpack this a little further. Job chapter 1 and, and verse number 6. When y'all get there, say amen at home. The Bible says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And the Bible says, Satan also came with them. Now, as we get ready to unpack the story of Job just a little further, there are some things that I want to be able to bring to our attention today. And, and the first thing that sticks out to me, beloved, is the accessibility of God. Now, it's crazy because Lamb, I'm looking at this text and the Bible says that there was this day where, where the sons of God, the angelic hosts, how they come before God at an appointed time where they present themselves before God to give worship and homage and praise to the creator. And it's amazing how the fallen angel Lucifer decides to come and join them on a day of praise and he joins them in an occasion that he despised as the covering cherub in heaven. And, and this, it kind of trips me out because to a certain extent, Curtis, there is a theological awkwardness that he allows the Satan, the bad angel, to have access to the same space that the good angels have access to. In other words, he lets the bad have the same access as the good. Some of y'all still didn't get this yet. 
In other words, man, the king kind of kind of throws me off that that he allows the evil to have access with the good. In fact, it kind of goes against my long held belief that somehow evil can never stand in the presence of a holy and almighty God. It throws me off that he even tolerates Satan. It's tripping me out that he even hears out Satan. It trips me out that he even entertains Satan. I'm tripping that he even allows him to have access to the throne room of God. But understand that this reality provides for us an encouraging truth. Because one commentator pointed out this truth, that in the Old Testament, what God did is he allowed Satan to have access to the inner circle of the throne. And in the New Testament, he allowed Judas to have access to the inner circle of the twelve. Which shows us that even in our fallenness, God doesn't cut off our access. Oh God, I wish that there was somebody that could praise God that he tolerates evil very well. See, that statement messes with somebody, but I don't want to build a doctrine on it, but I just want to give somebody some hope because he has chewed on this thing a little bit more as after a while as I meditated on it. I got to a place, brother, back to where I said instead of getting mad that he gives the evil access, maybe I better praise God that he gives the evil access. Instead of being mad that he lets the fallen have access to him, maybe I ought to be grateful that he lets the fallen have access to him. Instead of being mad that he hears out the wicked, I should be glad that he still hears out the wicked. See, the problem, the reason some of us can't receive this is that some of us want to make access to God exclusive. In other words, we, we want you to have to get to a certain level before you can have access to God. But the truth is that God says, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. See, I need y'all to know that my praise went to another level because I realized that if he only let the good have access, then Mary Magdalene would still be full of seven evil spirits. If he only let the good have access, the woman by the well would have been married 15 more times. If the good only had access, the prodigal son could have never come home. If the good only had access, Zacchaeus would have climbed that tree in vain. If the good only had access, then the a man named Legion would full, still be full of devils. If the good only had access, then understand then those of us who are fallen in sin would still be shut out. We would still be in the outer court. But because Jesus tore down the veil, we are no longer in the outer court, but I can go right into the Holy of Holies because God has given us access even in our fallenness. And it's crazy because, man, when I'm looking at it at first, I'm like, man, it felt like God lowered himself by even allowing Satan to come in. But in case you missed it, the fact that he allows Satan access, what it means is that God doesn't disband us every time we mess up, that God doesn't shut us out every time we fall short, that God does not disown us every time we mess up. And the reason somebody ought to shout is that God reproves us in sin but he doesn't reject us because of sin. Are y'all hearing me today? And so there's another reality I want to put forth in terms of this issue of access because, because that if Satan is allowed access to Satan, that if Satan is allowed access to heaven and Judas is allowed access to the 12, 
What that means at the end of time is that God is still going to allow imperfect people in the church. Okay, let, let, let me say that again for somebody. If God allows Satan to have access to heaven, if, if when Jesus was here, he let Judas have access to the 12, then that means he's still going to let imperfect people come into the church. Now, the reason I'm saying this or drawing this forth is not to lower the standard of the body of Christ, but to encourage every child, every new member, and specifically this generation of believers that feel comfortable looking at the hypocrisies of church people as a means of justifying being separated from the body of Christ. See, there's this theological reality that is put forth through the parable of the wheat and tares. God says, I'm going to let the tares be right there with the wheat to the end of time. God says, I'm going to allow wise virgins and foolish virgins to share the same space. He says, it's not going to be to the end that I separate the sheep from the goats. Y'all not hearing this today. And see, the issue is that there are some of us that get put off when we see the faultiness of people in church or people people in leadership. I want to tell somebody in this room that it's time for you to mature in the faith. It's time for you to stop looking your eyes on people. Start putting your eyes on Jesus. Don't let no man steal your crown. Don't let call, no one cause you to stumble. And you ought not be offended by anything you see in church. Because see, I need you to understand that you want to use the shortcomings of other people as a reason why you don't come to church. See, the truth is, you ain't got no time to be looking at everybody else. All you need to be worried about is what's going wrong in your own flaunty, messed up life. Are y'all hearing me out there? This crazy, man. Some of y'all, man, be around here like, Pastor, man, you know, I just, you know, whenever I see him or her on praise team, I just can't stand seeing them up there because they ain't living right over here. And I just can't receive worship that comes from them. Well, Pastor, whenever I just see such and such ushering at the door, I know how he treat his wife and I can't receive their ministry. Whenever I see such and such sitting in the balcony, it just ruins my day and I don't like coming to church. Whenever I see such and such first serving at church, I don't even like to see them serving. I just saw them at the club three weeks ago and see if they don't realize that in telling on them they don't realize that in telling on them that they telling on their own self-righteous hypocritical selves in other words you won't be offended that they was in the club if your foolish raunchy self wasn't in the club yourself and see, the problem is, instead of getting mad that the church lets people in that go to the club and that God accepts folk that have been to the club, maybe it ought to encourage you to know that if the church will receive them and God still works on them, that maybe the same God will still work on me. Are y'all hearing the word today? See, in other words, you better sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around somebody else's. And I need to say to this young adult generation, this Facebook generation that's always laying out all the reasons why you ain't in church, I need you to know God says, I'm going to let the wheat and the tares grow together. But you don't never see no wheat saying, I don't want to be a part of the harvest because tares are in the field. In other words, they want to be in the harvest so bad that it don't matter who else is planted there. I want to be a part of the harvest when Jesus thrusts in the sickle and reaps us from the earth. Are y'all hearing me today? See, there are some of us, man, that are just talking about other folk and what they have going on. And I need you to understand that if, if you leave church because of messed up people, that's literally like divorcing your wife because you don't like your in-laws. 
In other words, in other words, you, you know that when you marry a person, you don't just marry that person. Like, like when you get married to them, if you can't say amen, say ouch. So like what happens is, what happens is you marry into the family. And, and see, I need you to understand that this principle applies to everybody but me because I love all my in-laws. I mean, equally, I ain't got this issue. I'm just speaking theoretically. Are, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Uh, but, but I need you to understand that just say, for instance, hypothetically, that, that if I didn't like one of her cousins or one of her uncles or, or one of her siblings, I need y'all to understand that, that because I love her, oh, y'all didn't get it. Because I love her, I'm going to embrace those that are connected with her. Y'all didn't catch that. In other words, because when you enter into the relationship, you don't just accept the spouse, you receive the whole family. Y'all didn't get that. In other words, when I enter into a matrimony with the bridegroom, Jesus, I accept all of those who are part of his family. In other words, if you divorce your wife or your spouse because you don't like your in-laws, it's because the relationship wasn't that good in the first place. Oh, y'all didn't catch that. In other words, if you leave Jesus because you don't like his children, it's because you wasn't really that serious about Jesus in the first place. In other words, you just wanted a reason to get out. You wanted excuses to bounce. In other words, don't blame the children. The issue is that you just wasn't in love with the bridegroom. Are y'all hearing the word today, saints? The word says to us here in verse number eight, man, y'all got me preaching hard to all six of y'all today. The word says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and one who shuns evil. Now I need you to understand the second thing that this story teaches us, beloved, that God is a righteous judge of character. Now, this, Curtis, is perhaps one of the most interesting conversations in Scripture. Because here, we are allowed to see behind the veil of the cosmic in a way that we rarely do. Now, I need you to really, in order to understand the, the purpose and the power of Job's resolve, you've got to get what's at stake here. So Satan shows up with the rest of the angels. So God says, Satan, from whence comest thou? Now understand that that question is not a question of location. It is a question of intent. In other words, he's saying, Satan, well, you know, what, what are you doing here? And understand that, that Satan said, listen, I, I, I've been coming from Rome and in the earth. I've been, I've been coming from to and fro, from Rome and back and forth. I've been from the north to the south to the east and west. And understand that Satan's answer is not necessarily a reply of location, but Satan's answer is actually, when you read theologians, it is actually a declaration of dominance. In other words, what he's saying is that I didn't went all back and forth with the earth, and I've been able to get all of humanity to side with me. In other words, I've been on the north, I've been on the south, I've been on the east, and I've been on the west. And whenever I dangle my satanic carrot in front of your children, they side in allegiance with me more than they side in allegiance with you. In other words, he is making the boast before God that earth has sided with me. How do we know that? Satan's question is defined by God's answer. Because God is saying, you've been walking, saying you're walking back and forth. You've been saying, man, that you own the earth. You've been saying everybody's on your side, but notice how God responds. He says, but have you considered? 
my servant Job, that he is an upright and blameless man, one who fears God and one who shuns evil. In other words, when he puts forth Job's name, it is a declaration that humanity has not completely surrendered, but I still got somebody that's willing to call on my name no matter what their predicament might be. Now, now it's crazy because there are a couple things, man, that trip me out about this joint. Because like the thing that trips me out when I look at Job's affliction is because when Satan comes into the assembly, Satan doesn't come, he doesn't come for Job. Job is recommended. Oh, he, is, he is recommended by God. Like, like, like Satan went like, yo, yo, let me get your boy. He, he went like, yo, let, 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 let me get that one right there. But, but before he even asked, God says, I got somebody named Job that I can count on to represent my character. And, and, and see, what I'm thinking of, beloved, as, as I'm wrestling through this idea that God recommends Job, it's crazy because Job doesn't realize that what ultimately becomes a curse to him is the ultimate compliment from God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. See, maybe we should redefine how we see favor. Maybe we ought to recontemplate what it means in my life when God thinks highly of me. Because we think that if God thinks highly of me, then he's not just going, he's never giving me bad. That everything will be harvest, breakthrough, deliverance, healing, wealth, prosperity, only good things. But sometimes when God thinks highly of you, he doesn't just trust you with prosperity. But the sign that he thinks highly of you is that he can trust you to bear pain in his name. Now, you know what else baffles me? Some I'm tripping like, why would Satan even accept this challenge? I'm tripping straight. I'm like, because you, you think that Satan would realize by now that there, ain't no, there is no winning against Jehovah. Like, like you would think that he would have just come to the conclusion that this somehow is not going to work out for my good or my benefit. But, but you know what I'm tripping on, Curtis? Is why would he even challenge God on the grounds of assessing character? What's the benefit of getting Job to flip on God? Why would he challenge God on the basis of the judgment of character? Because you realize what the whole great controversy is about. It is about whether or not God is a credible and righteous judge of character. See, Satan's claim in the very beginning is that God cannot be trusted, that God is not fair, that God is not just, that we as the angelic host, that we can't trust God to be a righteous judge of our characters. And understand that when God vouches for Job, he puts the credibility of his character to be able to judge on the line. He throws the dice and puts his money on a cat named Job. So that, watch this, if Satan can get Job to flip, 
if God is wrong about Job's character, then Satan can remake the argument that if he was wrong about Job's character, then he can be wrong about my character. That if he can be wrong about Job, he can be wrong about the one third that he expelled. If he is wrong about Job, then he can put the question in the mind of the two thirds of the unfallen. He can bring it back to life that God can't be trusted. If he got Job wrong, he can get your judgment wrong. Are y'all hearing me? But see, this is the beauty of Job's resilience. Because as, as all of Job's reasons for praising God are taken away. After his stuff is taken away. And the same conversation is oxen are taken away. And the same conversation is cattle are taken away. And the same conversation, his ten children are taken away. And instead of raising his fist and the defiant rebellion against God, the Bible says he rips his garments in grief. But the Bible says, hallelujah, that he bows down his face to the ground. And the word says that he worships. He says, naked I came and naked I shall return. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And when he worships in the midst of his pain, he makes a cosmic declaration that when the world goes to hell in a handbasket, that God can still be trusted. That God is still worthy to be praised. That my circumstance does not change my assessments. It doesn't change my assessment of who God is. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Are y'all hearing me? And, and you know what else it did? Because see, 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 this story joke, what it also did is it rebuked me to the point of tearful humility. Because when I look at how God recommended Job, you know what I began to ask myself, Shay? Can God recommend me for anything? See, the reason he was able to recommend Job was Job was so consistent in his worship, so consistent in his character, so consistent in his sacrifice, so consistent in worship that God was literally able to vouch for it because of the consistency of his character. And the question I'm beginning to wonder very clearly is like, man, is there anything in my life that's so spiritually consistent that God can vouch for it? Is your faith so consistent that God can vouch for it? Is your study so consistent that God can vouch for it? Is your morality so consistent that he can vouch for it? Is, 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 is your faith so consistent that he can vouch for it? Is your kindness so consistent that he can vouch for it? Is your compassion so consistent that he can vouch for it? Is your devotional life so consistent that he can vouch for it? And Or have we become so adrift in character growth that the only thing we can be counted on to do is mess up? Is the only thing I can be counted on to do is to be back at the altar again next Sabbath morning confessing the same sin and saying, Lord, I'm sorry over and over again. And understand, don't get me wrong, I am thankful for the amazing grace of God. But understand that God's grace should not move me from the direction of having an unbending character. 
In other words, I still need to have an unbending, inflexible character that does not adjust to circumstance, but it is the same. No matter who sees, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on in my world. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today, beloved? And see, some of us are mad that God hadn't recommended us for certain positions. That God hadn't recommended us to a certain financial status. That God hadn't recommended us to live in a certain neighborhood. You understand why God hadn't recommended you? The reason God can't recommend you is because he can't trust you with nothing. I know somebody's going to stop liking this. You're going to switch to another church service right now. But I'm going to stay right here in truth. See, the reason God can't recommend some of us is he can't trust us with nothing. You know good and doggone well. The reason he can't trust, you don't even trust yourself to do the right thing. You don't trust yourself to be consistent in the Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And see, the problem is when God gives bad recommendations, whenever somebody gives a bad recommendation, it doesn't look bad on the one that is recommended. It looks bad on the one. It invalidates the judgment of the one who did the recommending. So it's kind of like this, man. You know, each, each year we have a number of pastoral interns that work here at First Church as they come through and matriculate through Oakwood. And it's crazy because there are times where conference presidents will call and they say, Pastor, you know, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this young woman? Are they faithful? Are they dutiful? Are they spiritual? And see, one of the things I learned is I got to be real careful about the recommendation I give. Because, see, if I give a, a good recommendation to somebody that's got faulty character and they get in the church or, or they go to preach and guess what? They don't live up to the recommendation. Understand that they already got the job, but what it's going to do, it's going to invalidate my judgment so that every other recommendation I give after that is going to somehow fall into question. So the any recommendation that I give, I got to make sure that it's a credible recommendation so that it doesn't hurt the recommendations that follow because bad recommendations don't invalidate the character of the recommended. It uh, invalidates the character of the God who does the recommendations. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? It's crazy how the word says here in verse number nine, I'm almost finished, I'm almost home. The Bible says here, check this out. So Satan answered the Lord. So God says, you know, have you considered my servant servant Job? Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? (laughs) Around his house? around all he has on every side haven't you blessed the work of his hands and the possessions of his land but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face third thing that this story teaches us is that not even Satan can get beyond God's hedge around your life okay y'all didn't get this today okay God says have you considered have you considered, have you weighed, have you contemplated my servant Job? Now, did you notice that Satan didn't have to go Google Job? No, no, no. He didn't have to go on Facebook and, and put Job of us, of us, and, and to see if a picture came up, to see if he, could, if he knew who he was. In other words, Satan is not surprised about who Job is. In fact, this part of the conversations 
actually enters into what some call Satan's complaint. In other words, he says, man, 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 I mean, I mean, man, I mean, no wonder he serves you. You put a hedge around his house. You put a hedge around everything he has. You put a hedge around this very person. In other words, the, 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 the childish adversary of his soul, he sticks out his mouth, puts his thumb in his mouth, throws a temper tantrum in heaven. It's like, Lord, the only reason I can't get to him is because you got a hedge all around him. But then the question should become, how does Satan know? How does Satan even know that God has a hedge around Job's children, around his stuff, around his livelihood, and around his person? In other words, it stands to reason that maybe Satan has already tried to come for Job. But the reason he couldn't get to Job was because Job had a hedge around his house, around his kids, and around his very person. In other words, I need you to know Satan is throwing a temper tantrum, saying the reason I can't get to him, I tried to touch him, but a hedge was around him. I tried to get his children, but a hedge was around him. I tried to destroy his livelihood, but a hedge was around him. I wanted to get him already, but you had your hedge around him. See, some of us still at home haven't gotten the point today because, see, there are some of us that don't realize that the only reason that certain things have not come to pass in your life is because the hedge of the Almighty God is around your kids, it's around your employment, it's around your money, it's around your health, it's around your very person. There's somebody that ought to stand up in adulation and praise and realize that somewhere the devil is in a corner right now. He's throwing a fit. Man, he's throwing his toys around. He's ready to take his ball and go home because he said, I tried to come for their kids, but God, you had a hedge around their kids. The devil tried to come for your marriage, but God had a hedge around your marriage. He tried to put corona on your body, but God had a hedge around your body. He tried to take you out in the accident, but God had a hedge around you. The weapon has been formed, but it wasn't permitted to prosper because my God, I said, our God, he encamps about those that love him. And he has a hedge around all of his children. Are y'all hearing me, saints? And it's crazy because your boy Job, he's just living his best life. His kids, they just drinking wine and partying in their house. And they don't even realize that stuff has been coming for them. That the devil's been trying to wipe them out. But God has just had a hedge around every circumstance. See, we don't really praise God like this in church no more. I remember my, my first church in West Point, Mississippi, had a deaconess named Rose Calhoun who would stand up on every Tuesday night and she would stand up and say, I just want to thank God for a brand new day. See, I'd like to thank God that my bed has not become my cooling board. But then she would say, I want to thank and praise God that he protected me from danger seen and unseen. And see, there are times where we evaluate the week. We say, man, it was a good week because nothing happened. See, you ought not say nothing happened. You ought to just praise God because nothing landed. Oh, God, I wish, I, wish, I wish there was somebody at home. See, I need you to know it came. But if the scales could be removed from your eyes, you would see God's hedge around your children when they came home from the school bus. 
You would see the heads around you when you walked into Walmart this week and they coughed in your direction and God just sent an angel to flush his wings and blow it away from you. You would see the heads around your house when thieves wanted to break in and steal but angels just flashed their cells and they went in another direction. I need you to know that I'm still alive not because I'm good, not because I'm deserving, but because I got the heads of the almighty God around me every morning and every night. Can somebody just praise God for the heads? Praise him for the heads around your children. Praise him for the heads around your family. Praise him for the heads around your house. Praise him for the heads around your 1994 car. Praise him for the heads around your hot water heater. Praise him for the heads around your church. Praise him for the heads around your grandparents. Don't just praise him for what happened, but praise him that God kept more from happening because you got a head all around you every day. Are y'all hearing me, saints? Man, it's like this. I remember growing up, man, when I go to my grandma's house, all the cousins, we would probably play, all of us played some variation of the game, tag. Anybody play tag? Or you play freeze tag? Or in the South, we would just call it it. And we, and we just, you're it. And what happened is, you run around and you tag somebody and they were it. Or you tag somebody and they had, had to be frozen until somebody else tagged them. And then you would give it to somebody else. But there was somebody that always had it that was trying to give it to somebody else. But guess what? When you couldn't outrun the person that had it, what you would do is you would go to what we call home base. Oh, I can't get no help in here today. And see, when you got the home base, it meant you were safe. When you were on home base, it meant you couldn't be touched. And at my grandmother's house, home base was the front porch where we would sit right there at grandma's feet. And as long as you was on home base, then guess what? You couldn't be touched. Now I need you to know my cousins, them, they would get mad at me because I would ruin the game. Because when I got the home base, I didn't go back out and start running again. When I got the home base, I just stayed on home base. Why am I running around out there? Because I get touched out there. I can get hit out there. I can be frozen out there. But as long as I'm sitting at the feet of grandma, oh, <laughs> I can't be touched as long as I'm on home base. And what I'm saying is that when you sit at the feet of Jesus, you're on home base and you're in his will, you can't be touched because God keeps his hedge around you, his children. Are y'all hearing me today? It's crazy because I do want to say this real quick. And you can play something softly for me. Because the only way that the devil can get beyond God's hedge is two reasons. Number one, that for his glory, God relaxes the hedge so that he can be glorified in your adversity. Now let me pause and say this. I need you to understand that probably less than 10% of your life, life's trouble is because God lowered his hedge. Most of your trouble is not because God lowered his hedge. But it's because the hedge was right here and you came out from behind it. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? See, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, 90% of our trouble is not because there was no hedge, but because of rebellion, we left the hedge. Because of presumption, we left the hedge. Because we just wanted to be big, bad, grown, do it on our own. We walked away from our hedge. And see, I need you to understand that the hedge, the hedge, see, we want the hedge to be mobile. Now, no, one of the heads just follow us no matter what kind of dirt we're doing. No, no, no. You got to stay behind God's hedge. Can, can I say a couple of things, man? Can I just be, be truthful like you? Know, you can just click off if you want to. Like, 
When you rob God through poor stewardship, you coming from behind his financial hedge. See, you ain't, you ain't got to worry about it. As long as you're doing what, what he said and, and living up to the conditions of his promise, he's going to do what he said. Husband, husbands, husband, on your device, when nobody's home and you click on that porn, you're taking the hedge from around your marriage. And you're wondering that why even though she didn't, she didn't see you, she didn't catch you, why everything is breaking loose in your life. Because you walk from behind the hedge. You're saying, young person, you, know, you, you want to just live your life in, in revelry and partying and, 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 and sexing and texting and all this stuff. And you're wondering why, why certain things are assailing you. It's because you are walking away from the divine hedge that has been set up for you by God. There's some of us that are wondering, man, that man, ever since I walked away from God and walked away from church, why depression and discouragement weigh me down? I'm so overwhelmed. It's simply, it's not that in trouble in church you won't have trouble. What the difference is simply that the trouble can only go so far because you have a hedge. And I need you to understand that that Satan's attack could only go so far. God said, I, I, you can take everything, but don't touch his person. And I need you to know that even when God relaxes the hedge, he will not completely remove the hedge. Because you realize if the hedge was removed and Satan's had his way, you, you understand, you, you, you wouldn't be six feet apart during quarantine. You, you'd be six feet below if the devil had his way. And the reason I just want to encourage somebody to know that just even in the midst of your despair and pain, just one of the things that Job teaches us is that in the midst of everything that we are still hedged in by God, still protected by God, still kept by God, still being sustained by God. Like even in the midst of the financial challenge, the medical challenge, God still has a hedge around you, his people. So my prayer is that as somebody looks at the word today, the word and your takeaway should not be like, man, how do I be like Job? How do I get his strength? How do I get what he has? No, you're missing it. No, you are not called to suffer this trial. See, a lot, a lot of times we tell the lie that all of us are going through a Job trial. No, Job, it, this was a one-time, one-shot wonder. This, this ain't happening all the time. That's not true. But what I need to be asking is how do I get to know the God? that Job fell in love with so much that when his world collapsed and all his quote-unquote reasons for serving God were taken away what is how do I get to know the God that he that was so great that when even all the reasons were gone Job's assessment did not change Job still said he's worthy Job said blessed be his name Job still said, I will bless him at all times. And his praise shall be continually in my mouth. I need to come away saying, I need to know for myself that intimate, great, powerful, accessible God that is so great that he is still worthy of adoration and praise. When my world collapses. And see what the story of Job teaches? Is that that great God, he's accessible. If he gave Satan access in the Old Testament, Judas access in the, Old, in the New Testament, he's still accessible to sinners. He's still accessible to the fallen. He's still accessible when you mess up. Even, even, even when you've gone a long time without calling on him, you've gone months and years without calling on him, I need you to know that he is, as Yolanda Adams saying a long time ago, he is just a prayer away. 
So, so don't walk around saying, God, where are you? No, that's God's labor. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same place. I hadn't left you. I just been waiting on you to come back home. And so my prayer today is that there's somebody who is listening to the world word. Don't let what's happening around you change your assessment. Don't let what's happening in the government, in the school system, with unemployment, in hospitals, don't let it alter your praise. Because if he was good before mid-March, he's still good right now. If he was good when you had a job, he's good now that you don't have one. If he was good when the bank account was here, he's still good, even though it's a little bit lower. And what God is calling us to, I'm praying somebody's getting this. God needs some people who are going to endure last day tribulation. The ones that are going to have the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Those who are called remnant. Those are the people who don't change their mind about God when the world turns against them. And so my prayer is that there's somebody today as you're looking back over your life and even as bad as it is, maybe you just say, Lord, I thank you that, that I'm even where I am because you still got your hedge around me. You still got your hedge around me and I thank you for your hedge. But there's somebody today that's making the decision to say, man, I walked away from God because of people. I walked away from the church because of the hypocrisies of men and women and deacons and elders and pastors. And the problem is you were looking in the wrong direction. You were looking at men. But what I'm going to call you to do today is to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. So as I close, I'm going to get ready to pray. But what you're, you're, you're responding to this appeal in two ways. There's that first person who maybe you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you knew Jesus at one point, but for whatever reason, the circumstances of life choked the life out of your faith and you got separated from him. And you haven't been in church and not been connected, not been meeting with God in private time. And you want to get back connected with God. And, and especially if you're right here in the Huntsville area and, and, and when the quarantine lifts and, and you want to become a part of the body of Christ, you want to become a member of God's family. On your screen is my church email, busychurchofbellsouth.net. And if you're interested in uh, joining the family of God, just send me an email. Send me an email and somebody from our pastoral staff will get with you by Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. Maybe you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube. Put your response in the comment section below. Say, I want to join the church through baptism. I want to join the church through professional faith. Or maybe you've just been floating church to church to church. And you want to say, I want to transfer my membership. I want to be a member of the first church family of God. I want to be under this word. I want to be a part of this fellowship. I want to grow where I am being planted. If that's you, just put it in the comments. And one of our administrators will get in touch with you so that we can follow up with you and make you a part of the family of God. But more than anything else, I just want to invite you into a place of prayer. You're in your home, every head of household, single mom, dad, grandmom, whatever it is. Would you gather your little ones? Would you gather your spouse, your family around the screen? And would you just look in their eyes and just make this declaration? Look into their eyes and say, come what may. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Declare it to your children. We're not going back the way we came. Declare it to them. We're not going back the way we came. 
declare it to, to over your household that our circumstance will not cause us to change our mind about him. He was good yesterday. He was good last week. And he is good today and forevermore. Make that declaration. So right now you're just praying a prayer of commitment over your home. If, if you're in the home by yourself, you're just committing yourself to God. Committing yourself to his way. To his direction. To his authority. You're saying, I'm not going to let nothing happening in the world change my mind about who God is. I'm going to pray here in about 10 seconds. But I want the people of God to be praying right where you are. Committing. Consecrating. Rededicating. Father in heaven, as your people, we don't come with a request. Today, Lord, we come with a commitment. Lord, we have good days. There are some hills to climb. We've seen some lonely days and some sleepless nights. But we say as the song, old songwriter that when we look around and we think things over, all of our good days have outweighed our bad days. And so, Lord, we will not complain. We are forging by faith a commitment that says we will not let any season, situation, or circumstance change our assessments of you. And we realize that the story of Job is not about Job, it's about your greatness. And what Job simply teaches us is that it's possible to praise you when the world turns in on us. So Lord, we're going to commit to this week being a thankful people. We'll praise you whether the boss calls us back into work this week or not. There are some of us that are in a hard place because we are in the midst of grief and, and a very real despair. And you're saying, Lord, I'll praise you even in the midst of my pain. There's somebody who has a cloud of darkness over your home. And you're saying, yet though he slay me, yet I will trust in him and I'll praise him just the same. We will not let our circumstance, our situation change our assessment. So we commit ourselves, Lord, to not getting too high or getting too low. But we commit ourselves to just having an unchanging, unwavering faith in you. Help us not to live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Would you bless us? Would you anoint us? Would you keep us? And when we can't hold on to anything else, when we feel like letting go, may we lift our hands and 
be reminded that we've been created to hold on. Help us hold on. In Jesus' name we pray. That God's people all over, from wherever you listen, shout amen. Hallelujah. We know that you have been blessed for listening to this message. Join us next week for another inspirational message. If you would like more information about the First SBA Church located in Huntsville, Alabama, or have a prayer request, please visit us at www.firstsbachurch.com. Our services are streamed live on Saturday mornings at 11.30 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Central Time. And you're invited to watch these live programs on our website. Until next time, may God richly bless and keep you in His care.